0: Hello everyone, welcome. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to my Canadian friend, Brad Jerzak. He's written a number of incredible books and hopefully he'll tell you the quick titles and what they're briefly about. And then we're gonna get into some of the content from his lens of a conference coming up, Grace and Grieving, Finding Hope in the Pain. That event is happening Saturday. January 18th but just because that date's happening the content that we're going to be talking about today is going to be lasting and can be really beneficial as we walk through different stages of life especially when grief and pain hit. So Brad uh, where do you live and
1: what books have you written my friend? So I live in Abbotsford British Columbia which is normally kind of a rainforest but right now it's it's more like Mississauga or
0: Wherever you, where do you live, Mike? I live in southern Ontario, an hour south of Toronto, in Elmira,
1: St. Jacobs, Waterloo. Well, I'd like to visit you someday. Um, yeah, and so I, I've been busy writing this year. Um, my most recent books are "A More Christlike Way," and another one called "In," uh, and the subtitle to that is is uh, escapes me right now. Oh, inclusion and incarnation, incarnation and inclusion, Abba and Lamb. I have something right over here. Oh, good. Yeah. So a more Christ-like way and in are the most, the fresh ones. Um, some of the ones you might be familiar with, a more Christ-like God and one's gates will never incredible. be shut. Yeah. So I've been busy. And we also have some kids books. The most recent of those is called Jesus Showed Us. And it's a kids book about how Jesus shows us that God is love all through the gospels.
0: What? We have to start teaching kids early or what?
1: Well, uh, Paul Young told me it's the best adult retraining book he's seen. And in <laughs> fact, I know somebody right now who's on a 40-day program of just going through it again and again and writing one page at a time, journaling in response to it, seeing transformation. This is wow. someone in their 50s, so they're, wow. it's like a grandma. And
0: Well, sometimes hopefully... we've, we've made um, the love of God far too complicated with fancy words, and we've lost the essence of it. So you've got to become like a child. So I love that. So let me get into a big question about grace and grieving. I know you've got a lot of other topics that I would love to have you speak about. And uh, you're on my um, radar to have come speak. So that's not too far away. I hope we'll, we'll figure something out sometime. But uh, you're the next one I was really hoping to have come. But with this topic of loss, um, in your number of books, you deal with correcting images, not only of God, but of uh, reviewing life circumstances. How, how have you looked at or addressed the idea of grief, misconceptions people have had? Can you, can you start me off with that? I think you have something in your mind already, so I'm just going to let you run with this.
1: Yeah, I think that um, one thing we need to understand is that grief is a normal human response to things that happen in our lives. There's a number of Ways that we suffer that are really connected to lies that we believe, um, but when it comes to things like hurt, anger, grief, even guilt, that these can be burdens that are quite natural to humanity when we experience certain events. So, for example, um, if if uh, if I lose a loved one, if I were to lose a spouse to death, or a toddler, or even uh, apart from death, if we lose a marriage through divorce if, or if we lose a relationship or a job. These, these are real events and it's appropriate to feel grief. So the feeling of grief is not the problem. The question is how we're going to process that burden. Do people know they're feeling grief? Um, some certainly do, but they they may be so swimming in it that they don't even know what they're experiencing it. Um, and it's odd because it's sort of it is a burden that comes on us as a result of something um, now that there, where there's an absence or, or where there's a real loss. So wherever we experience real loss, we will experience this burden of grief. And that's, that's such a normal part of the human condition. That, And I'll come back to this later a bit, but the, the Psalms recognize this, that the Psalms of lament are all about grief. And that's mm. like at least 40% of the 150 Psalms wow. are grieving. And that was in the Jewish hymn book. So I, guess I guess permission. It absolutely do. does in ways that quite often the church has not. Like, how dare you grieve? <laughs> you should be over this already. And maybe we'll give people a little bit of grace and space to grieve for a few weeks or months. Even, let's like, say, widows or widowers. But our experience of it is, even if you're um, even if even if you're processing grief in a very healthy way, it's normal for that process without even getting stuck to last at least 18 months um, before you see a big shift. And so sometimes the church has said, look at, do you, do you believe in Jesus or not? You know, uh, there's, do you believe in his power or not? Why, why aren't you happy yet? It's like, well, my spouse died a year ago. And
0: now they're throwing guilt at them and shame as if shame. Wait a minute, uh, maybe, maybe I'm not processing this right. Maybe I've done this wrong and people are not comfortable with somebody being uncomfortable.
1: Right. And may, maybe I'm even a bad Christian, you know? Yeah, and so then what happens is in that kind of a culture, you end up repressing the grief. And as you, as you push it down and try to put on the happy face, um, we're just not made for that. And what will happen is it will begin to squeeze out. So repressed grief squeezes out in other ways. And those ways can include other um, feelings. Let's say you, gr- repressed grief can become depression. It can become anger. But then also repressed grief can turn into um, coping mechanisms. We, you've got If you're not allowed to express it, you need to cope with it. And then that's when we might see people um, uh, trying substance abuse or, or whatever uh, addictive behaviors just to sort of numb the grief. So all of this happens when we, when we don't, in a sense, welcome the grief and bring that grief into the presence of God where, where grace can do its work on it but we mustn't think of that as a drive-thru. This is, you know, and so... Not in this culture. Oh, my goodness. And so we just, um, in, in, in normal Western culture, we don't really have a way of dealing with this. There are cultures that understand the time that this takes. And so, for example, both in the Eastern Orthodox uh, Christian tradition, but also in First Nations cultures, a number of them would... would have a, a a sort of memorial um one week after the death, one month after the death, six months after the death, one year and two years wow. um, certainly we have those and it's even when it's a a ten minute memorial at the end of a service in where I attend uh, we we really see people are allowed uh, to weep to, to to weep this out in the presence of safe people and loving friends and family and so they will wow. gather and um and they're allowed to revisit that they're doing it on their own anyway but wh- when does community become part of that right and it's such mm. an important part of grieving. well there's even a symbol
0: of, of weakness if you're grieving right uh, I, I think it was paul and I just, we just did a um, video interview that was aired yesterday i think or tuesday which is yesterday um but he said uh, uh he was at an event and um um, his wife had, and him had gone through a lot of loss. I'm going to ask them about this in the conference. Um, and his wife couldn't go to the funeral of, the, of this n- n- uh, young niece who was five or something. And Paul said, she was strong, I was weak because I was able to compartmentalize and I, I didn't allow myself to feel. And she was the strong one. I, wanna, I want him to explain that one, but that blew me away there for a moment. I thought, we don't think of it like that. We always think
1: it's a, this weakness has to grieve. Right. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's really true. And one of the things, um, I, I want to just address this idea of it being a burden. What mm. we've noticed is that there, um, there's an inner pre- healing approach to this, but there's also sort of a, a journey approach, and I, I think both are necessary. So I, just to address the inner healing, first of all, one of the things I've discovered is that if we treat grief as a burden, it's an emotional burden that we carry in our body. Then I might ask somebody, um, where do you carry this burden in your body? When the grief comes up, where do you feel it? And it can be, it's almost always very specific. Like whether it's face, neck, shoulders, throat, sternum, gut, you name it. People can normally identify where they're carrying their grief. Wow. This is really helpful. Let's say if you are stuck and it, 10 years later, you're still not getting over it. it that may mean that you're still you've you've still are carrying or clinging to this grief for some reason in your body and then we just do a, a prayer exercise with them where we say now when you when you feel that grief there if you could see with the eyes of your heart what would it look like and they will have the, the most imaginative pictures describing the grief anything from chains to a dark shadow to a big anvil to like i've heard crazy what's like a big giant black slug on my back or uh or a bolt a five pin iron bowling ball with spikes on it in my gut or a ball of worms writhing around inside me. And they will, they will have these images and it's a way to get in touch with what they're feeling and, and to, to see that if they're carrying that kind of grief and it feels so bad and they're wearing it in their body and it looks so bad in the spirit, then this, this is really costing them. And so we'll just pray about that. What has this cost you? And to carry the burden yourself, so we never shame them for having it. The problem is carrying it yourself too far and too long. Hmm. And then we'll um, we'll ask them also, like, so. Well, first of all, they'll say, "Yeah, I, it's cost me relationships. It's cost me joy. It's cost me freedom. It's cost me my job. It's cost me everything in some cases." And then, and then we'll we'll ask them, "Is there any reason you need to carry this?" So some people believe. For example, I need to carry this grief for a lost loved one, or it doesn't mean I love them, or it means I'll forget them, and mm. so on, when in reality, it just means that all their memories are painful, and that without the grief, they could begin to access all the joyful memories, and they're certainly not going to forget them. And then finally, we'll, we'll bring them to Jesus, and we'll say, if you were to let Jesus carry this with you and for you, if you were to surrender that burden to him and um, what would he give you in exchange and so there'll be an exchange there and it will often be very beautiful like i'll take your ball of worms and i'll give you a ball of fiery love you know or i'll give you i'll lift this yoke from your shoulders and i'll give you wings so you can fly again And, and then we just ask is that an upgrade you'd want to make this is isaiah 61 i will trading our our garment of or the the grief for joy and um getting a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness and beauty instead of ashes so we see that part of the messiah's anointing is to make these upgrading exchanges and so with grief we do that all the time and that's one of the approaches we take to it: inner healing
0: wow yeah the inside stuff people don't realize it and how they've suppressed and i I know I've, I've been through stuff in my life. No time for sharing that. That's not the point of today. But I've learned through some counseling how repressed it was and how I tried to put it away with vices. Uh, even when I started my counseling, I started to increase my alcohol intake. And it was not good, you know, because – my. and then my counselor helped me see I was doing that so I didn't have to feel
1: anymore. Right.
0: You and were I medicating.
1: It's just – And it's not like you're a bad person. It's not a moral problem at all. It's a medication problem. It's like, and so. Well, when I was told that
0: it almost, it almost like chains fell off instantly. Wow. I was able to continue counseling and uh, three years of counseling has brought me through a lot of tremendous healing. So now I get to help others in their journey too. And it's, it's quite incredible. So can when you me- mention
1: three years, that means we're not just again not just doing like my little prayer exercise really can help, but that's one layer. You may need to journey this out, and you need permission to do so. Yeah, and mine there's was ways mine to was related it. to
0: abuse that was mm. happen, sexual abuse, just like with Paul Young, and so that took a little longer. And I'm 51 now, so 45 years of not resolved stuff. Right,
1: right. Yeah, that's not going to go away with the snap of the fingers. I know. <laughs> um, in your union with Christ, you can begin to, to release it layer by layer. Right.
0: You had mentioned some psalms before that you'd like to uh, touch on
1: uh, where you have encouraged
0: people. Do you want to get into that?
1: Sure. And um, so I'll even use a specific story, and then I'll read you these two short psalms. So this specific story is about a girl who um, she, she became a Christian when she was 14, and then the day she became a Christian, she fell ill. And it, it was uh, chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia set in from that day on. So talk about, talk about a, a robbery, inviting Christ into your life. And this is the gift I got. And what happened is I only met her in her early 20s. And so she had lost, her grief was over all her teen years were lost. She could not experience any of the things that teenagers would hope for. Um, and so much of the time she was bedridden or she when she, angry. Oh yeah. Hurt <clears throat> anger, but, but under that was the grief, right. And that needed to be expressed. So I met her at this discipleship training school where she'd sort of forced herself to get there and then she'd stay in her room, but as much as she could, she, she was trying to fight. Um, and so she would come to, The odd session and finally I had a one-on-one and she just told me her story and I I just I felt so horrible and I thought I can't fix you I have a I have a list of people I pray for with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and they almost never get healed and and so you've got this chronic grief connected to body pain so um, but I had a I had a what I now see in retrospect as a nudge from the spirit and Um, She happened to be from Quebec, so I said, let's read Psalm 6 together. I can't help you, but what I could do is hold your hand and cry with you, and I want you to read Psalm 6 out loud in your first language, which was French. So here's what she read. Now imagine somebody grieving seven years of loss due to chronic fatigue, and she begins reading, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver me, save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I'm worn out from groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. By now, she's just sobbing because this is her life, right? And she's allowed to say it in the presence of God with conviction and like and in in fact the beginning of the psalm it's almost like god has done this to her cuz she has become you know a christian and got this horrible curse but then it shifts away from me all you do evil for the lord has heard my weeping the lord has heard my cry for mercy the lord accepts my prayer so the, the groaning and lament is an acceptable prayer to God. And she says, wow. and all my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish, will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. And um, so she caught her breath. And I said, I want you to do one more. So she reads this one from Psalm 13. So maybe your listeners can have this in mind. When they're facing grief, Psalm 6 and 13 are two short psalms that when you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit's given us these words and the permission to share them. Wow. So Psalm 13, how long? Because we, we pray that a lot, right? How long? When is this going to end? Lord, will you forget me forever? So it's almost like, oh, you can't pray that because we know theologically God doesn't. It's like, no, but part of your heart feels that and you need to bring that to, into his presence. Mm-hmm. How long will you hide your face from me? Again, he doesn't ever, but that's how we experience grief. Mm-hmm. How long must I wrestle? with my thoughts, and day after day have sorrow, grief in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say I've overcome him, and all my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, and here's again, now the psalm's going to help them process. But I trust in your unfailing love. It's like, actually I don't, but I'm going to pray it anyway, because... (laughs) Being real includes telling, saying the truth when it doesn't feel true. My heart rejoices in your salvation, even though my heart doesn't rejoice at your salvation all. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And uh, at, at that point, what it's, it's, the psalm has taken their reality, and now it's just leading them along towards a few words of faith.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's what happened to her. Um, nothing that day. We just cried a bit. And then she went off back to her room. And the next morning, um, I did a prayer exercise similar to what I just shared with you, with the whole group. And I said, we're going to go to Jesus at the cross, and we're going to lay our burdens down with him. Whatever your burden is, hurt, grief, guilt, anger, or even people you're carrying, and we're going to meet Jesus at the cross. But he's not hanging on the cross. He's in front of the cross. The cross reminds us of his victory over these things. But the fact that he's standing in front of it with open arms reminds you he's also risen and alive and has life to give. And so I, we did a brief prayer where uh, we said, "Whatever, whatever burden you're bringing, we want we're, we're inviting you to surrender that to Jesus and receive a gift of this love." And I, I just sort of prayed them through that. And then we ended the meeting, and I had to race off to a, a you know, the airport. And I didn't hear from her again for years. And then one day on Facebook, I get this message from her. And it says, uh, this is years later. And, and, and she says, I, I don't know if I remembered to tell you the day we left our burdens at the cross, I was completely healed in my body. And it's sort of like as she let go of the burden of grief, something came off her body. And now she said, and I just want you to know, I'm, I actually got my life back. And I've met a man and, and I married him. And look at, here's a photo of us with our first child, you know? And so you must've been blown away. I was blown away. I was angry that I prayed, wasted all those years praying for her. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, um, I, but I, and I wish it was always like that. That's part of the, part of the issue with, with grief is um, that's a great story. Cause it ends well there, but what about the ones who, you know, she uh-huh. still didn't get her teen years back. Uh-huh. She gets her life back, but but there was a real and permanent loss. And for others, when they, lo- let's say uh, through death or whatever, you, um, the, the truth is circumstances don't change for a lot of people. But what can change is that when we bring our grief into the presence of God, he is willing to, He. what's Isaiah 53 say? I will bear all your sins and, all your sorrows. Mm. So somehow, um, he may bear those sorrows for us, or he we may experience him bearing them with us, even while we still also carry them. But now it becomes about union instead of isolation and separation. Can can you read that
0: sign behind your head?
1: Yeah, my my. Uh, this is a the word the word of the year from my wife Eden, and. Um, I think I could share this, she, she's going through uh, health issues, and and, um, and we've also experienced some great losses uh, in terms of, of relationships in our family. And so, out of a place of real grief, this is what we believe the Lord gave her. Our hope is not in a particular outcome, but in God who can do more than we ask or imagine. And so, um that means we have to surrender the means by which he brings his mercy into our lives into his care so mm. we absolutely we pray lord have mercy a lot what we mean by that is that whatever our grief whatever our situation we believe absolutely in the infinite mercies of god pouring down on us like um niagara falls and and when we say lord have mercy we're not activating his mercy it's more like we're purposely coming under the waterfall and orienting ourselves to receive that mercy. But you don't get to dictate what that will look like. And sometimes we're… What? We, but we're we, control freaks. Right. So we have expectations about if God is good, it must look this way. And it what didn't look this way, so maybe he's not good. But what she's saying is, no, God, or is,
0: God or is… Or good. you say, I want what they had. I want their answer.
1: Yeah, yeah. And fair enough. Like, let's say this. Um, we can grieve that, you know? We didn't get their answer. This, this, this girl got um, freedom from chronic fatigue and this one didn't. And she would fair. It's fair for her to wish she had been healed. But Mm -hmm. um, I wonder what mercy could look like for her in the midst of that. And it will have something to do probably with community and fellowship, both with people and, and with God Uh, and understanding that the Bible says that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. There is nothing we grieve that Christ has not directly experienced. And I'm not just talking about his own grief. Jesus grieved stuff in his life. But I mean, he's directly united with our grief. He knows those losses in, in his, at the very deepest levels of his soul where he chooses never to repress them or numb them.
0: I, I have talked to, at many funerals uh, about the story of Jesus showing up late for his best friend's funeral, not just 10 minutes, like four days late. Mm-hmm. And if Jesus is the son of God, fully God and fully man, why in the world did he weep? Mm-hmm. And so far the conclusion I've arrived at is because he's fully human too. Yeah. He identified with the pain of those. He didn't say, Oh, you guys stop it. You don't have to feel that because I'm going to raise from the dead. Get over it. He was in the moment. He felt everyone's grief around them. He was focused on who was in front of him. And that's a lesson for all of us. I don't know. I did, that, was, that was pretty cool. When I first caught that, it changed the story for me.
1: Yeah, that sounds exactly right to me too. Um, that for him to be fully human means uniting himself to the fullness of the human experience and, and, and not um, sort of this aloof Jesus who actually dehumanizes the grieving process. That's just not him.
0: I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I just saw a post yesterday, I think, that you talked about one of your books being about surrender. Yeah. If somebody is struggling with not just grief, but letting go, is is this book that you're referring to about that?
1: Yeah, if they get a more Christ-like way, um, the key passages in there about this are... It's probably backwards on the screen, but oh well. No, it's, it looks right to me right. anyway. Um, so, I noticed yesterday that I the word surrender came up 96 times in the book. That's I'm like, lot. wow, this I guess this is a big deal to me, and it came up in a lot of different topics, everything from from prayer to grief to addictions, counseling to an enemy love, um, and all of these kind of really hard things, and really the prototype for this is Jesus Christ himself in the garden of the Gethsemane.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: he, so he bears the, he's not weeping because he's going to die the next day. He's weeping because he's bearing the sorrow of all people all t- at all times in that moment mm-hmm. and willingly. So, and so, so that's a pretty big deal. Um, here's the dilemma. Um, when people are facing, um, especially enormous grief, they can confuse surrender and resignation. Let's say someone has terminal cancer, for example, and I may even mention this in the book uh, about a child who was dying of cancer. And so, on the one hand, you you don't want to just resign yourself to the cancer; you want to fight it. But on the other hand, sometimes in our fighting it, we won't allow ourselves to grieve. So, how do you how do you both um, oppose the thing that wants to be the thief of your life and not give into it while at the same time allowing room for yourself to go through a grieving process and and I feel like people people can a- end up abandoning those folks in one of two directions either you're like no we need to be people of faith who fight this and we're going to just do positive confessions and we're going to pray command prayers and we're going to do all of this stuff meanwhile the person's grieving and and they're all alone in their grieving. Mm-hmm. The other is we may just resign to the cancer's like okay we're going to go through this grieving process and now they've been abandoned no one's praying for healing for them. It's like but how do you pray for healing and pray for and process grief at the same time? Here's here's what I believe. Rather than resigning to the grief and rather than denying the grief. So that's the two ditches. I resign to the grief or I'm in denial of the grief. Instead, I surrender, and what I do is I surrender myself to the care of a loving God, and I pic- i literally picture putting myself or my loved one in His hands.
0: Mm.
1: Surrendering to His hands is is a way uh, to enter the grieving process, but it may also be the their best chance of being supernaturally healed. But doesn't so doesn't surrender just you- care?
0: Doesn't that require you then to take these, this control and open it and say, Father, take out and put in whatever you want. I surrender.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. We, I, in fact, in the book, I, go, I, use, I use hands as the illustration <laughs> where we move. It's, it's a three-part move in my case, and this would be certainly true in, in, uh, in 12-step recovery, for example. So you move from clench fists of self-will and control. Which are usually the cause of the problem in the first place, Hmm. Um, and then uh, let's say with an addict, for example, they're going to bottom out. The bottoming out doesn't mean doesn't technically mean life must get as bad as it can possibly get. Bottoming out is when you go from clenched fists to limp wrists, (laughs) Uh, uh, where Uh, and that can become just despair. mm -hmm. But um, you come to the end of yourself. And you realize I'm powerless over this and I can't control it anymore. But then we, third part, then you roll the hands over into surrender and receive. Okay, I'm stealing that. Please do. And so, <laughs> so clench fist, lip wrist, open hands. And so in the open-handed thing, what I'm saying is we're surrendering our lives and our will to the care of this loving God. But in, in, in opening our hands to do so, we are actually maximizing what we can receive in terms of grace.
0: Have you got time for one more question? You sure do. Um, somebody asked me recently, um, a funeral director asked me, how do you handle Christian joy boys or joy girls who put on a plastic smile and say, well, I'm supposed to be a Christian and be happy that they're in a better place. And they don't, they're, they kind of feel like they're not allowed to grieve because they're Christians. And they're, they're in my mind, they're totally screwing up what Christianity really is. And they've, I don't know where they're getting this stuff from. I'm sure you've seen it. Do you, do you understand my question?
1: Yeah, the worst case I ever saw that was, we we I was at an open I, I was the minister at an open casket funeral for a baby that had died. We're talking about, not quite two years old, and they had the casket open, and we're looking at this little doll like figure, and then and then we go to the. Um, that was bad enough. It was so hard, so hard. And, but then we went to the, what do you call them? Cemeteries. We went to a cemetery, uh, they closed the casket and you could just feel something, right? And then they're lowering the casket into the dirt and then they're take a shovel and then the dirt goes on top of the casket. And so we're very aware because, because it had been an open casket of what's happening. And, and so, um, the The wife absolutely fell apart at that point, and but the husband went into Pentecostal joy boy. Oh. Praise the Lord, Hallelujah. He's this is his kid at at the cemetery, and Hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And you can you you could just see this guy is about to blow up, but this is his way of not, and and I don't, um. It didn't end well. Let me put it that way. Uh, for that family and it, it was very sad and and uh eventually um you know my suspicion is someone like that um if they don 't have a breakdown they 'll certainly need to use coping mechanisms and, and addictions to deal with it. but what to do about it i I hardly know um i may but i may is have, not
0: is not a healthy expression at all is, oh good I'm, lord no. to say
1: no that that 's so. It's so dehumanizing. It's so about escape at that point. We're escaping reality instead of accepting what is. And I'm not saying that we accept in the sense of affirming the power of death or something like that. But we do have to say that here is reality and what we're facing and we're going to face that reality in the presence of love of God. But often we've... we've we've shifted that to like pretending that in, in so my good friend, Lori Martin, uh, who has lost a daughter. Um, she said, what she's seen in a lot of believers is they do the raw, raw thing. And they think it's that they're triumphing in the resurrection, but they're still stuck at the triumphal entry because they've not passed through wow. the crucifixion. And so when someone I like that, and, um, and so when you try to prop up triumphal entryism, um, I believe that becomes toxic, and I would say exhausting. And so sometimes I've been able to crack through denial, not like Doctor Phil does. It's like <laughs> his thing is, "How's that working for you?" Yeah, you know. Um, but <laughs> All in I, ten
0: minutes. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I what I do is I'll I'll try and go through the empathy door and empathize with feelings that they're not allowing themselves to have. And the question yeah. I I will say is like, "So what are you experiencing?" And they're And whatever they say, even if it's like, I'm just like, I'm just all in for Jesus, you know, he's the victor and all that, or it's just by asking them, they may, they may open their hearts, but here's the magic question. I think it's like, Oh, it's not a question. Well, it is sort of, I'll say that must be exhausting. And then you just see their bodies go. And and when they, when they can admit how exhausting it is to the soul to to really bear that grief themselves by trying to compartmentalize it, hide it. I'm like, what if if Jesus wants to carry that for you? So I would say grief is absolutely allowed. It's absolutely human, um, but you don't need to bear it on your own. I'll bear it with you and we'll bear it as far as the cross and then we'll see how Christ will want to bear it. And so, co-suffering love is a word I use a lot. Co-suffering love—that is, he—he—he uh, he, he doesn't stuff suffer instead of us, so that we are not supposed to suffer. He suffers with us and in us as we suffer, and yet somehow that can lighten the yoke. Wow.
0: Well, thank you, thank you for the time today. That that was really awesome. I think uh, I hope we can have another conversation like this. This topic is way too big. And I think more people need help because that guy who used that, uh, you know, praise the Lord. Somebody taught him to say that. What yep. children don't say that. Right. So some, it was religion. So yeah. Anyway, let's, let's find some hope in this, uh, in this pain. And, uh, there is grace in grieving. And, uh, thanks again for your time today.
1: Do you get a Paul young hug at the conference? Because that, that will, that will go a long ways. The grand embrace of God embodied in my friend, um, is a is a good model for what he's a walking store. hug
0: yeah <laughs> awesome all right we're gonna end this off here i'll stop the recording but thank you so much brad brad jerzak author of a more christ-like way um ordered off amazon uh, asap it's a uh, great read. there's other books oh by the way ha, paul young did the forward ah, i just noticed that
1: indeed he did best part of the book
0: okay okay All right, we're uh, ending this here. Thanks everyone for taking time to uh, tune in and listen to this uh, really important topic.